Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... I want to be clear, God made them different. He says male and female, He made them, they were distinct. However, they would be able to come together in a special way and create some special things. There was something magical about man and woman that God had created from the very beginning. Before they got going, what did God do? Adam saw the woman. He, he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my... Y'all know he liked her because it wasn't... He, she had no competition. She was the finest woman he'd ever seen. And he was the most handsome brother she had ever... Like, there wasn't nothing but gorillas and kangaroos and other things. Put the kids to bed or tell them to put on their headphones. For the message from Pastor Bill today, as he offers up just a piece of the birds and the bees, starting from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, can you imagine what it must have been like for Adam to lay eyes on the very first woman and for Eve, the first man? Think back to your first crush and multiply it by a million. Even then, God was working His perfect plan for your good. He put everything in place so you could have the experience of family. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Colossians chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Christian Family. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick up at verse 18. And this is what we've done so far. You know, Colossians in the early part of the book, it was theological. We were learning about, you know, who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. And we learned about our relationship with him. Then we were challenged about false doctrine and false teachers and a false gospel and making sure that we keep everything about Jesus. This book has been very, we got to read Colossians has been about Jesus a lot. It's very, uh, people say it's called it Christocentric. I mean, he's all throughout every part of the book. It's about him. And then as we came into chapter three, we were looking at the new man. So we put off the old man and his old nature and his old stinky behaviors. And we put on the new man that is according to Christ. And now Paul says he wants to deal with family and the family structure, which this is so important to me that I broke it in. I'm only going to do verses 18 through 21 today. It's that important to me that we understand God's heart for the family. So let me ask this. If you are here and you are married, by show of hands, let me if you're married, raise your hands right now. Not if you're in a good marriage, just if you're married, put them up. All right. <laughs> okay. Some of y'all was like, well, I don't even know if I want to acknowledge it. Yes. Okay. If you are so I would say single, but some people think if they got a boyfriend, they're not single or girlfriend. If you are unmarried, raise your hands. Raise them high. If you're not married, raise your hands. I want all the single people to get a good look. See who they is. See, see who they is. All right. All right. So and here's why, right? Because we're going to look at, you know, he specifically today is going to deal with marriage, deal with the role of the husband, the wife, parents, and children. And so this is what I've come to discover, that most people are either in a marriage. Most people that are not married, not all, there are some special cases. Most people that are not married would like to be married. Some people have had such a bad either encounter with marriage or bad example with marriage. I know people that are like, I'll never get married. That's not a good thing unless you're, you know, unless you intend to to not, you know, be with somebody, you know. So uh, there are people when they say that I'm not being married, they, they don't mean I'm not going to be with somebody. They just mean I'm not going to be committed to nobody. So that that ain't the Christian way. And so, you know, it's an important part of society. The world in which we live right now, the way God created it, family is the foundation of a society. 
And so if, if the family is broken down, if families are not done God's way, you can expect to see the fallout in a society, which we see in our world right now. You guys have to know, and this is why I got to preach this so clearly, because I think some people are maybe even unaware that traditional marriage, God's way of marriage is, do y'all know that it's under attack in the world in which we live right now, that there are, there are many agendas and many things that are coming against God's idea. So let me, let me remind us of this before we jump in. After God created the world, y'all know the Genesis account, right? God created a beautiful world. And what was the last thing God made? When he was wrapping up creation, what was the last thing he made? He made man. God said, I've I now created this beautiful place. Now I'm going to put some people in it. And he created, first he created the man, Adam. You guys know that story. He created Adam from the dust and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living man. And he had a relationship with God. And God gave Adam a job. God gave Adam things to do. What was Adam's job, y'all? All right, tend the garden. So I'm helping you single women out. The single man had a relationship with God. He had a job, right? And he was doing what God had given him to do. Y'all got that? That was for free. Okay, so then he didn't go looking because there was nothing comparable to him. It was just him and God and, and the animals. And he was doing what God gave him to do. But as he was doing it, God looked out. As uh, one of my favorite verses, Genesis 2.18. It says, God looked upon him. This is the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit looked at Adam and said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. God looked at Adam and said, you know what? Everything else God had made, he said, was good. But he looked at Adam alone doing all the work and said, that brother needs help. It's not good that he be alone. I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. And so God fashioned the woman, right? Where did he fashion the woman from? What did he take from Adam? Took his rib, right? Took his rib. That's why men love ribs, right? No, I'm just kidding. So he took his rib. <laughs> Some people say this, you know, it's because it's from under his arm where she could be protected and close to his heart. And I, it all sounds good. I don't know if that's why God did that. But he took it from the rib and he made woman and he woke Adam up and they're in the garden. God's original intent for human beings. He made a man. He made a woman. Now, are men and women different? Yes. Amen. Right. God did that. Right. God made Adam with some things that he made Eve with some things and they didn't have the same things. God did that. I want to be clear. God made them different. He says male and female. He made them. They were distinct. However, they would be able to come together in a special way and create some special things. There was something magical about man and woman that God had created from the very beginning. Before they got going, what did God do? Adam saw the woman. He, he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my. Y'all know he liked her because it wasn't. She had no competition. She was the finest woman he'd ever seen. And he was the most handsome brother she had ever like. There wasn't nothing but gorillas and kangaroos and other things. So. God there in the garden performs the first marriage. He gives some instruction in Genesis 2, verse 24. He says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he sent them off into the garden naked and told them, be fruitful and multiply. And something magical happened. They figured it out. There was no rule. There was no, they didn't have no sexy movies. Adam and Eve figured it out and they had babies. I'm being careful because I see little eyes. They're like, ooh, tell us how they do it. I'm not. <laughs> Ask your mama how they do it. So, But here's the thing, right? I want you to understand that God didn't just send them out for a season of singleness and say, be fruitful and multiply. God said, look, I made man. I made the woman. I made them compatible. 
God made it to where they could be married, come together sexually and procreate, have children. And then there would be family units. And that was how humanity was going to multiply in the earth through marriage and family. Y'all get that? So the very first people that God made, they were put in a marriage almost right away. And they begin to have children. And 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 y'all know when they started having children, they started having problems. If y'all, if y'all didn't know, they had some issues before the children. They had more issues when the children came. That's normal for you parents that are like, it's so hard. It, it was it was hard for the first parents. It'd be hard for you, too. So all that to say that foundation to say this, that family and marriage is something God created And nobody really has power. No one should be given the authority to say it shouldn't be like that. Who is anybody to say it shouldn't be? They're nobody because they didn't create it. Right. God created it. He knows how it's supposed to go. He makes the rules for it. There are so many books on marriage written by people that don't even know the person that created marriage. Y'all know that? Everybody thinks that they're an expert. You know, there are people that are writing books about marriage, but they don't even know God who created marriage. So. With that, we come to Colossians chapter three, verse 18, and we last we're looking at the character of the new man and and what he does. And and now we're looking at this is the attitude of the new man, the Christian in marriage. Verse 18, it starts off with the wives. And I want to say this and I hope you wives don't get mad at me. I'm just ask y'all up front for some grace and patience. Don't get mad. I'm going to say some things you're probably not going to like, but I didn't originate them. They come from God. I hope they're helpful to you. Hope they hope you just let it soak in. So I'm going to try to say it in my nice voice because I got some things to say to the men, too. But I found this interesting in the three sections of scripture that speak to marriage and they have something to say to the husband and the wife. Guess who they always start with? I was curious about that this week. In Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, it starts with the wife. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, it starts with the wife. And here in Colossians 3, verse 18, it starts with the wife. And I thought, well, man, the man is supposed to be the leader. But it always seems to start off with the wife. And um, I'm not going to give you a good explanation for that. I'm just pointing that out to you that God is saying, I'm starting with you. So I don't want y'all to be like, he started, he picked on. I didn't do that. God told me to say it this way. I didn't, I'm not going to rearrange the order, but God does start with the wife. So maybe he's like, let me tell her first and then I'll get to him. Um, I I will say this, the husband is held accountable in a greater way. Um, But he comes, he does speak to the wife on, in each instance first. This is what he says to the wife. Look at chapter 3, verse 18 of Colossians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In all three places where he does speak to the wife, he does say the same thing, the same word, submit. In our culture today, this can be seen as almost a profanity almost a cuss word, a very negative thing. There could be some negative connotations or misconceptions about what it means to submit. But I will argue if we understand it biblically, that it's actually a beautiful thing. And God's intention in commanding it is your benefit. And so when God tells a wife to submit to her husband, this is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean your husband is smarter than you. 
because most of you women are like, I know that, you know, it doesn't mean he doesn't mean he's smarter than you. It doesn't mean that he's a better leader than you. It doesn't mean that he knows God better than you. It doesn't mean that he has a better spiritual walk or life than you. God says, look, everything I created, I created with order. And in the marital relationship, the husband represents who? And the wife represents who? The church. And so God says to the wife, I want you to submit to your husbands. Wives, understand this. When you submit to your husband, you do so in submission to God who told you to do it. When you do not submit to your husband, you do so in rebellion to God who told you to submit. Now, the reason why, you know, why does God tell the wife to submit? There's a reason for that. If I walk you through a few things that took place, everybody remembers in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell, right? Who fell first? I'm not picking on you women. Eve fell first. Satan went after the woman. He deceived her. He lied to her. She first had some solid conviction. He says, hey, can you eat of every tree of the garden? And she was like, God said I can eat of all trees of the garden except for that tree. Can't eat from it or touch it. At least you die. Satan says, oh, that's not true. God's lying to you. He knows that they eat of that tree. You'd be just like him, knowing good and evil. And somehow over the conversation she was having with the devil, it says that she looked at the tree differently. And she saw the tree that it was desirable to her eyes and it looked pleasant to eat and desirable to make one wise. And she took up the fruit and she ate. But right after she ate, what did she do? She went to her husband and said, you eat some too, baby. And, and he did it. Now, the Bible in Timothy, when Paul is laying out order for the church, right, he, he points back to that story. And he says that because when God brought the punishment to Adam and Eve, this is interesting, too, right? Eve ate first. Eve gave to Adam. Adam ate of his own free will. He was not deceived. When God came, who did God address? Adam, you're the leader. I put you in charge, bro. He didn't say Eve. He said, Adam, where you at? Why you hiding? Who told you that? You know, he's like, he said, I'm naked. He said, who, who told you? Y'all didn't know y'all was naked when I left you. Now, all of a sudden, you, you became aware of your naked. Who told you that, right? And so all this transpires and... In the punishments, God tells Adam the punishment for what you've done. Uh, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. You know, there's going to be thorns and thistles and so forth and so on. To the woman, he says, hey, because you have done this, there's going to be pain in childbirth. Can you imagine that maybe before there was, you could have babies with no pain? That's, it sounds like it used to be like they just babies with no problem. But because of what she did, there'll be problems in childbirth. But then he said something very interesting. You can go back and look at this in Genesis 3. He says, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. What does that mean? Right? It, it sounds like it says I'm gonna, you're going to want him. Your desire is going to be, but that's not what it means. That, that phrase, your desire will be for your husband, is this. You're going to want to lead him. You're going to want to be his leader. You're going to want something inside you is going to want to lead him, but I'm going to put him in a position to rule over you. And so... I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I would ask the wives, would the wives acknowledge that there are times when you feel like, I just want to lead him. I want to direct, God's like, that's going to happen. That's, that's going to be part of the challenge of living in a fallen flesh, is that you're going to want to be the leader when God's like, but I've made him the leader. I want you to submit to him. Now, having given all that background, we come back to this where God says, wives, I want you to submit to your own husband's. A question that might arise is this, you know, what if my husband is, what if he doesn't have a good track record, right? What if he makes bad decisions? Do you still submit to him? And I would say that the limitation on submission is 
if your husband is telling you to do something that would directly defy what God has told you to do or not to do, right? So God is always the ultimate authority and we submit to the authorities God puts over us unless they tell us to do something that would be disobedient or defiant. Then you could say, I'm going to submit to the higher authority who is God. But in general, a wife is to have an attitude and a heart of submission to her husband. So Again, if, if he's not a good leader, I've learned this. He'll become a better leader when you sub, you submit to everything he says and let God deal with him, right? I have found this, that if a wife that will say, you know what? I am going to honor God. I'm going to submit to my husband. He's making bad decisions. I'm going to let him make them bad decisions. And I'm going to just submit and pray for him. I guarantee you, if you do that, God will deal with your husband. And you won't have to say, I told you so. You just can let you let them bad decisions start racking up. And that brother going to learn how to pray. He going to learn. He gonna, he'll grow in his ability to seek the Lord. I, I'll tell you this. My wife has been good about submitting to my leadership. I can look back into the earlier parts of the marriage where she would just defer. You know what that did for me? It, it created for me a sense of I got to hear from God. I know how to hear from God. I'm unwilling to move forward until I hear from God because she's saying, I'm going to do whatever you say we're supposed to do. So I'm like, I don't want to make a bad move. And then I'll be saying God told us and then it fall apart. Her submission helped me grow as a leader. Some wives, your husbands aren't good leaders yet. And they might not develop into good leaders because you won't give it to them. You won't give them what God told you to give them. And some of you need to just give it to them in the name of Jesus and, and walk away. Don't even look at, don't even watch it crash and burn. Don't even look at the back. Just give it to him and say, God, I'm obeying your word. I'm doing what your word says do. I'll trust you to deal with my husband. But God says to the wife, submit to your husbands. I don't have time to go to these stories, but there are two instances in scripture where Sarai was submitting to Abraham while he was making bad decisions. It is in Genesis chapter 12 and again in Genesis chapter 20 where Sarai is apparently fine. I've never seen an 80 year old woman that I was like, dang, but apparently at 80 years old, she was so fine. He said, man, when he got to Egypt, he said, they're going to see you and they're going to kill me to take you. That's fine. Fine. At 80, I just, I don't know what she had, what kind of, what she was drinking or what kind of oil she was putting on or whatever. But he came up, he said, look, we're going to say you're my sister. He did this twice. That was a lie. That wasn't true. It was half lie. You know, she was a she was kind of there was a relation there. But anyway, both times God would deliver her without being touched and God would rebuke him and deal with him. And so I believe if a wife will submit to her husband as is fitting in the Lord, if he is wrong, God will deal with him. God will deal with your husband. But that is the first step of this marital thing. So wives are submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And it says the same thing in Ephesians 5, the same thing in 1 Peter 3 with a little more explanation to it. Here it says, wives submit to your own husbands. And so I, I want to point this out where it says to your own husbands. I found some women are able to submit to a boss at work. Like you'll find a woman that won't submit at home, but it's like you see her at work and it's like, oh, you do know how to submit. You know, you do it, whatever the boss says. Yes, you, you do it humbly. You do it with a smile. Some women are willing to do for a paycheck, you know, what they're not willing to do because God said so. Be careful of that. It says to your own husbands. So that's women don't submit to all men, only to your own husband. If you are unmarried and you have a boyfriend, do you have to submit to him? No. If he puts a ring on your finger and says, I'm going to marry you soon, I promise. 
real soon. Uh, do you have to submit to him? No, not until there's a wedding day, not until the wedding day. Uh, until that day, he has no authority, no power. Now, I should say this to the women, though. This is to all you unmarried women. Since it'll become part of your walk with the Lord as a Christian wife to submit to your husband, as you evaluate, you know, rather or not you will pursue a relationship with a man, you have to look at that man and say, could I submit to this guy? Like, is this a guy? Would it be good for me spiritually to submit to this guy? Does he have a prayer life? Can he read the word? Does he read with understanding? Does he make good decisions? Is God directing his life now? Like, is this a guy I could submit to? That should be a major concern for a single Christian woman. If there's a guy that's coming after you or is wanting to talk to you about a relationship, you want to look right there and just say, man, is this somebody that I can see myself submitting to in the future? And if not, then you shouldn't even consider. So could you consider a non-Christian man? Nope. Could you consider a man that say he, he's a Christian in name only, but there ain't no evidence of a walk in his life? No, because now that dude going to be making all the decisions in your household. He don't even got a prayer life. He just got a cool car or whatever it is, you know. So, you know, so consider these things so that you make wise decisions. Now, here's the thing, ladies. Let's say you meet a guy and he loves the Lord and you're watching his life and saying, man, this guy is making wise decisions. He prays about stuff before he doesn't just do things. He prays first. He makes wise decisions. That, that might be a brother to give the time of day. That might be a brother to, to say, you, you can call me. We, we could go out for coffee, sir. We could, would you pray for me? You know, um, that, that would be good. You know, I would, I would even say this in relationships, ladies, as you're feeling your way around a relationship, I would ask him, hey, pray about this and let me hear what you get from the Lord. Let's see what the relationship is like. What are they hearing from God? Those are great things to establish. Last thing is that because men are, we'll talk about men in just a moment, are called to lead and women are called to submit to them. This doesn't mean that women don't bring something valuable to the table, right? Because what did God say about Adam? I'm going to make him a what? That means that, a, a, that means that we need help. So a wife submitting does not mean that she doesn't bring value, doesn't mean that she doesn't come with insight. Submission doesn't mean silence, right? I've been married to my wife for 23 years, and my wife submits to my leadership. But you guys got to know that my wife has tons of input, right? There's some things that there's angles that she sees things from that I don't. I would be a fool to, to not tap into the help that's available through my wife. You understand that? So that so submission doesn't mean that you don't bring something to the table, that you don't have value, that you don't have things to say. It means that at the end of the day, you submit to their leadership. I'm going to give as an example from my own life. I, again, in 23 years of marriage, I'm going to ask my wife this. How many times has it been like a foot down? You got to submit. How many times in 23 years? I know I know you can show it on one hand. Put your hand up. All right, she put up two. I could think of three, but we'll go with the two. So in 23 years of marriage, right, I just want to be clear what submission isn't. Submission isn't about what we get for dinner. I don't go home and say, woman, I said chicken. And get out, you know, that's, that's not what, that's not, my authority is not for that. And that's she not submitting to that, right? It always has to do with the spiritual direction of my family. 
Uh, the first such move was a move from one church to another church. And God spoke to me, but she didn't think he had spoke to her. But in reality, he had spoke to her because he told her to submit to me. But I wasn't going to say that. But I just let the Lord deal with that as time went on. But, you know, she came. She came. She, she It was a little stank, you know, but she bodily submitted. Her heart caught up after a while, you know. So I give her credit. She came. She submitted. My point is this. Submission is not, it's not some daily thing. I don't dominate my wife. She's not kept under. That's not what it looks like. When you think of submission, think of Jesus in the church and think of how Jesus lovingly led the church. Cause we're getting ready to talk about the husbands and the church was always best when it submitted to his leadership. Amen. And so wives submit to your husbands. Again, it says to your own husbands, not your boyfriend, not your fiance as is fitting in the Lord. been listening to A Transforming Word, as Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Colossians. This book is a letter penned by the Apostle Paul. We find him sitting in a Roman prison where he just received news that the church in Colossae was being infiltrated with false teaching that went against the very nature of Jesus. How dangerous would it be to start believing that Jesus wasn't who he said he was and is? This was why Paul confronted this issue and reminded the Colossian church that God's sufficient for all we need. When we think we can't go on, He gives us endurance. When you feel like you've messed up one too many times, He takes it away by His blood. When you're in doubt, He gives you peace. If you've ever felt these ways before, there's hope in Jesus, friends. And the more you dive into His Word, you'll find this to be true. In fact, if you visit our website, calvaryinglewood.org, We have a daily Bible reading plan just for you. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. If you've got any questions or simply need someone to talk to, we're waiting. Just call 310-245-4811. Our prayer is that as you walk through life, you have a deep personal relationship with Jesus. So commit this number to your memory, 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood out of Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today. This has been A Transforming Word.